The Swamp Without a Still is just a tent, a martini without olives doesn't quite make it, and Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Congratulations, you've come back to another minute of Mash Minute. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that did sound right. Hold on, okay. Put on your headphones, listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three, goddamn army. Mash Minute. Welcome back to another episode of Mash Minute, where we analyze the 1970 Robert Altman film, not so much the TV show, though sometimes one minute at a time. I'm Megan Coleman. I'm Tierney Steele. And he's back. I Is am Chris back. back? <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum. And also of Apollo 13 Minute. <laughs> I am. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Jim. If movies. Jim's listening, he'll get me for that. So. <laughs> no, I, I just, I can't resist. You're talking to some. Let's just say, if you want to talk about From the Earth to the Moon, I, I'm raising my hand. That doesn't work on podcasts, but just trust me. Yeah, it's me. not so good. It's all the way up in the air. <laughs> So, which I, I always considered, I mean, Apollo 13 might as well be, you know, you just get, when you buy the DVD of one, they just give you the other one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they very, assume. yes, yes, good movie. Now try this, uh, you know, hope you don't want to do anything this weekend. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. But I've been working out what are kind of the perfect, what I call perfect episodes of television. And what is funny is MASH, I don't know, has one. MASH is perfect because no matter what mood you're in, there's a good yes. episode. But perfect episodes of television can stand on their own, but are better if you've seen more. Are funny, but not just haha funny. You know, like I had all these things of what makes a perfect episode. And Spider from From the oh, Earth to the Moon yes, yes. is absolutely one of them. Yeah, just an amazing, amazing telling of the story of the... The, the folks who built the lunar module and how much, you know, it was interesting. We had one of the astronauts in our museum and we had a, a, an engine on display from the ascent stage of the lunar module. And I never looked at it this way. I mean, we had the engine on display and it's like, that's cool. It's an engine from a lunar module. But it he really put it in a personal feel where he goes, you know, we had so much trust in the folks who built this machine that this engine had to work every time you know, 100% of the time and 100% of the effort, or we weren't coming home. But we had such an amazing level of trust in the people who designed and built these machines that we knew it would work. We knew that they wouldn't put us there if it wasn't going to work. It, it kind of got you choked up. You're sitting there talking about this engine that's just sitting sort of in a crate, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but you're like, gosh, that's, that's emotional. There's a, there's a very big people side to the story of the building of these machines. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm taking no. over well, the mash minute with Apollo no, no. stuff. So. I was recently watching Grand Tour, which is the former Top Gear guys, and oh, yeah. James May is like obsessed with the space program. So he actually did a bit on the episode I just watched. Okay, so he had to put a car element into it, right, to get on the show. So he talks about the cars <laughs> that the astronauts were playing. But at one point, he's talking about the lunar lander, and he's like, you know, this computer had more computing. Your Ford Fiesta has more computing power than this. Yeah. lunar lander and i looked at my husband and i was like because i drive a ford fiesta and i was like are, are you serious like when you put it that way <laughs> like it makes it, it makes it even more amazing i'm like 
Holy crap! How the hell did we manage to do that in like less than a decade? Thanks, Kennedy. You know, like yeah, yeah, right? Because we basically had nothing when Kennedy was like, "Let's do this," and we're like, "Okay." Yep. When he made that announcement, we were going to the moon. We had a combined time of twenty minutes of space flight, and he was like, "That's cool. We're gonna go to the moon now." Yeah. (laughs) And in pure, uh, the person who comes up with the project, actually, no, that's dark even for me. I was gonna make a joke like, of course, the person who sets the impossible goal is never around to actually oh, gosh. make it happen. Wow. Oh, just oh, that, that hurt my basket <laughs> heart really, strikes. <laughs> really left him hanging with the uh, challenge there. <laughs> so, Jim, if you're hearing this, uh, this isn't me. <laughs> I, believe it or not, we're here to talk about Minute 35 of the Robert Altman film, MASH. <laughs> yeah, sorry guys, we got a little stride track. We literally went to space. <laughs> we took a journey, and now we're going to come back down, and maybe maybe the Apollo lands near, in the Pacific, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we can take it, and then we can just, we just go over to Korea. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You want to do two hours on the Chinese space program? <laughs> oh, my God, I know, Rick. No, instead we're going to talk about a minute that starts with Hawkeye welcoming the flashlight so work can continue in a blacked out OR. And it ends with Hawkeye insulting Frank Burns to Major Houlihan. Technically, these are two true statements, although now that I'm looking at them out of context, it seems very weird. But basically, we're seeing this blackout. Hawkeye was describing how much he appreciates the nurses on his shift. And then we see this blackout, we see it end, it cuts back to Hawkeye and Houlihan in the mess tent having a discussion, and the problem is, I'm just going to really generalize, I'm making it into this, she mentions that his opinion does not jive with Frank Burns, and that really takes this conversation in a different direction, that undoes all the goodwill we were talking about last (laughs) week that's building up between them, and I, I will point out, I think it's still... In this minute, I think we still have that, and then we see the turn. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll get there. We're still in this room that is making me think of the episode "Raiders Goodbye" with all these lights mm. shining down on the on the surgery so that they can see. Chris, I'm so glad you're here with us because you have actual confirmation that this is mm-hmm. yeah, a absolutely. real thing that would happen quite frequently. They start singing when the lights go on again. It's a World War II song, and I'm not sure what the most famous version is because it seemed equally popularized by Lucky Millinder, Vaughn Moore, Vera Lynn, and then I saw Gene Autry did a cover. So, so it's just like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the context for kind of who they're singing. Usually you can look and see, okay, yeah, all these people did the song, but the version was this person. This didn't seem to have that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm at a loss on the song. I mean, I've heard the song numerous times, but yeah, I'm at a loss of who, which version I guess would have been popular. This version also had a feel to it. I don't know. I mean, wouldn't you say there there was just sort of a, almost kind of a melancholy feel to the song? I mean, would would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Well, the... The song itself, it's, I'm not going to read the lyrics. You can just listen to them sing or Google it, whatever you want. But it is a reference to, well, it's a reference to the end of the war in general, but specifically England during the blackout, when the lights go on again, and the World War I quote about the lamps going out all over Europe. 
it's not confirmed, but a, a lot of people have said like that had to be the inspiration for it, at least partially. And wow. it's when the lights go on again and, you know, a kiss won't mean goodbye. And it is, it's a very hopefully, sad, like sad, but hopeful song. Definitely written from a place of mid-war, but it's someday this is going to stop. Oh, and it's 1943, I should have said. Wow. Wow. Yeah. The world was a much different place in 1943. I mean, that's... Man, <laughs> that would be very powerful to hear to be singing that song in 1943. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, interesting. <laughs> and so it was very popular, and so it makes sense. You know, we've talked about what age would these people have been during World War II, and the fact that they're over here now. And so, you know, that you sing the songs you know, and someone probably thought it was funny with "When the Lights Go On Again," and. <laughs> I love that I'm talking about this as if this is a documentary. I mean, like, obviously, <laughs> Ring Lardner Jr. sat down and wrote this and, and had all this in mind and was a very smart man who <laughs> could put this symbolism in. Before the lights actually do go on again, we have a line that I will never miss again, never picked up on until I started doing research for this podcast. Because Dago asks if, uh, sorry, Mulcahy asks if someone's okay. Hawkeye's response is, is he all right, Dago? Yes, he'll live. But who's going to be around when he wakes up in the morning to tell him he doesn't have anything between his legs anymore? (laughs) Which I never noticed. There's a lot of chatter going on, and that isn't the point (laughs) of this scene. But there is an entire paper written on the meaning of manhood in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what oh. this line means and what the gist of this line is. And I hate it. And I just want to be singing during a blackout. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm never going to be able to watch this minute and not hear. Because once you know he says it, you hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I never picked up on this line and i gotta say as a 15 year old girl or 16 whatever i was watching this probably even if i had heard it would not have gotten it (laughs) i can tell you that uh, like i'm a 39 year old male and i'm like god that's awful (laughs) (laughs) i'm still like kind of mortified by that line so (laughs) i should have sent it over to uh professor christy porter and be like you want to traumatize your students (laughs) have them unpack this for a term paper (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah and it's a whole thing uh Hulahan has to be taken down because after and what does it mean that we hear this line and he's about to turn against her and i'm just like oh my god just let me have my war farce (laughs) i also love the scene again not that it's a documentary because i mean it's not but i also love the scene because it depicts the dedication of the people who work at the, who worked in the mash units and the aid stations and the hospital ships and i think those folks would have done anything for their patients you know it, it's pr- obviously it's middle of the night these people were probably off duty they had other places they could have gone or card games or playing whatever or drinking and instead you know they came in holding flashlights to try to help out the scene in OR. Complete opposite of where you'd want to be. I I just like it subtly because it it talks to the dedication of the people who worked in these units. It's weird to call this movie a love letter to anyone because (laughs) we have spent over half an hour now picking it apart and holding it up to the 2019 light and going, yeah! (laughs) Yeah, really, really. But, But 
if anything. And I think it it's also skirt. I'll just cut ahead to my my note when it comes back to them in the mess tent. If you look at Houlihan's face, I think she is genuinely listening to Captain Pierce talk about his opinion of the nurses on his shift. Which makes sense. These are her nurses. As you said, the one one of the few through lines of this character is always her her girls, her pride in how good her nurses are. And it isn't until Hawkeye starts venting basically that her attitude changes yeah i can yeah i can see that i agree i agree you can make the argument that she totally walked into it (laughs) and opened the door for this venting to happen and really shouldn't be surprised that you know like i'm I'm not saying and all of a sudden this madman started yelling and she didn't no i don't think that's what's going on but the whole like well major burns is far from satisfied she's talking very pompously but if you look at her face as he was telling that story again i just i really think she is genuinely trying to figure out where this difference of opinion is and the problem is once he starts venting about what an idiot frank burns is she for whatever reason, feels the need to leap to his defense. And once that line is drawn, they never get back on the same side of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that mm. was that was a defining moment. And I think, to a certain extent, haven't we all done that a little bit somewhere where we were? <laughs> or in a group of friends where we're like, God, that guy's an idiot, you know? And then it's like, oh, there's somebody who's like their best friend in that group. Like, oh, whoops. You know, so, I mean, I've been there. <laughs> never to this, never in Korea in a mass unit under these circumstances, but... Uh, but I, I've, you know, it, it, it doesn't make the guy not an idiot. It just, <laughs> it just, yeah. you just wouldn't have said that if you didn't like, know that one of his oh. friends was there. <laughs> did, did Hawkeye think this was going to change her mind? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not yeah. sure what his, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what, well, and I wonder if he was still like, through the beginning of this movie, he's kind of just this aloof. You know, when you watch the TV show, you're meeting someone who's already been there forever, and he's kind of just suave about his going about time in the military, where the movie is, I mean, it starts off with Hawkeye being kind of aloof to a lot. I mean, like, just getting there was, he's fumbling over stuff, and I, you know, I mean, so I wonder if this isn't just part of that, where he's kind of like, oh, he shouldn't have said that. (laughs) So... She did not realize how strong his feelings yeah. were. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, and by this point, he's having an affair. According to the Catholic Church, is having an affair, but we could argue about how far anything has gone But he, <laughs> with Lieutenant Dish. And part of it is, you know, he really does. He likes his nurses He in multiple ways. God, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. He is telling her your nurses are good. And she says, well, this person says they're not. And he's like, because that person's stupid. (laughs) And the weird thing is you'd think she would want to take the cup, but I think they're just too different at this point. And the fact that he starts, like I said, I use the word venting. I mean, this is, this stops being a conversation. (laughs) And turns into Hawkeye monologue time. (laughs) Which I kind of like that actually that happens because that's one of the critiques of the show. And I would just like to point out that he totally does it here too. (laughs) That's That's just part of who he is, I guess. That's just Hawkeye. (laughs) Good old Hawk. (laughs) 
there's almost a part of a painful scene to watch because for a brief second you're like they actually might get along and then you're like oh no that's not going to happen oh never mind <laughs> yeah <laughs> like she's nervous and tense enough but it could have it could have gone so differently. Could've so differently. <laughs> and now my related question that I will throw out to you guys is: Did we need what I have termed the boon debacle, so that we could totally take Hawkeye's side here? Because he's a little, he's not pulling any punches oh. with this opinion. And I think if we, if we had this discussion before we saw that, before we saw it's always someone else's fault. Mm. would we be as on his side you know we know hawkeye thinks he's an idiot and a pain in the ass but did we need to see that to realize that hawkeye is coming from a place of truth hmm. that's a good uh is he coming from a place of truth maybe i'm totally drank the kool-aid no i don't think you drank the kool-aid <laughs> <laughs> not that much yeah, that's a boy. That's a good. Uh... Well, because otherwise we just think it's like doctors just having egos, right? Like, yeah, like... In, in terms of like, you know, oh well, I'm, of course I'm the better surgeon, so you know, of course everyone else sucks, right? And right, <laughs> which there could still be a certain amount of that going on, but Frank sort of blaming everyone else and not himself, and the rest of them for all their faults do seem to take responsibility whatever yeah. that means for, <laughs> you know, at least their medical side of things, right? Maybe not how they treat other people always, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think we, we need something to prove that it's not just Hawkeye and everyone else in the mass unit thinking that. Frank this is isn't. a way of getting, getting the viewer in on the loop that, right. oh, by the way, yeah. this guy isn't good. <laughs> like really, <laughs> you know? really he's yeah. not. Did you, did yeah. you think? No. Okay. Cause really we're going <laughs> to prove it to you now. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> I'll tell you, I have I have a story that kind of fits here. I'll tell it if you want, and, and if it doesn't, you could edit it out. <laughs> so, but uh, you're talking about like when so you when you lose a patient, it was somebody else. It's all you know when when Frank loses a patient, it's somebody else's fault. But uh, or God's um, right, exactly. <laughs> God's yeah. will. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'll reference him. I referenced him last episode uh, that I was on, and and I talked to you again. I, I had a time. Uh, we had a really extensive time. To talking with uh, Richard Kirkland, who was a MASH helicopter pilot for the 8055th, and told a story that on one of his flights, he got lost uh, navigating back mm-hmm. with the patient. On, and it took him about an extra 10-minute flight to get back, you know, to, to 10 minutes longer than it should have. Mm-hmm. And uh, he landed, and they offloaded the patient, and that was his last flight for the day. So he went down to the mess tent and was having some coffee. And he said, I mean, he called him Hawkeye. He said Hawkeye was, mm-hmm. was in the OR with him. He was sitting with another surgeon, and a nurse came in and said, they need you in OR. And he asked, is it the guy that I brought in? And they said, yeah, there's he's having some problems. So they said, if you want to come in, you can observe. So he actually got to go into the OR in this MASH unit. Well, he got to go in the door. He opened up the door, mm-hmm. and he was going to get gowned up. And when he opened up the door, Hawkeye was in there basically taking his mask and stuff off. Mm. And right away, you know, Richard said, oh, my God, I did this. You know, I... I caused this patient his life. And he said that Hawkeye said no. He goes, we don't think that way. We only count, you know, the people we save. And if, if we weren't here, we would have lost everybody. And it's nothing you did. He just, you know, he was he was too far gone. But he said, you can't think that way. And, and 
that's not how we do things here. So I always said that was kind of interesting that he, first off, he was, he has, he's telling a first person story calling the other guy Hawkeye, which I'm like, that is incredible. <laughs> like that's, he's talking about the guy that would eventually write the, you know, the book, you yeah. know, yeah. like that's kind of insane. <laughs> so, but uh, it was just, as he's telling me the story about though, by the way, I kept picturing the TV show. Like, I'm like, this yeah. is just like a scene of the show, <laughs> like, oh, but, but it was your real life. Like that's, uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> It's one of those things that comes up in lots of professions where you have things like that, where, as he was saying, you can't think that way because you don't know. And if you start thinking that way and wondering every time, you freeze. You can't do any. Like, if you become that obsessed with, if I had been here 10 minutes earlier, he would, like, that, he's right. You can't because now you'll be thinking that every single time. Exactly. And getting lost in a helicopter in Korea <laughs> in the 50s was uh, not your fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. I, so many times this week, I've been, take the W. <laughs> I was talking to someone about Red Sox game and I was just like, take the W's, even if they're ugly, even if they're not good. Just take the wins. <laughs> it still counts. I think that was a big thing of, yes, we wanted to see Elliot Gould punch Robert Duvall in our movie, but I, I do think it has a meaning that I never picked up on just as a casual viewer. Seeing things as separate vignettes and it's like, well, actually, no, we did need to see that first because it's part of why we're able to watch Hawkeye feel so strong. Let's face it, Hawkeye overreacts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean... More so in the next minute, but like, this is, this is a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was important. I'm going to take us back into the OR for a moment, if I may. Sure. Because this is our chance on the episode analyzing MASH set during the Korean War, despite Robert Alton's best efforts, <laughs> to talk about Sigmund Rhee. <laughs> oh, Yeah. When the lights come back on, Ugly John calls out, Sigma Reeve finally paid the light bill, or must have paid the light bill. I forget which one now that I'm not looking directly he paid, he at paid, it. He paid the light bill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Sigma Reeve was, air quotes, president? <laughs> How do we want to talk about him? Um, hmm. I mean, Wikipedia calls him an anti-communist authoritarian dictator, so I feel like we can get a little... But he probably would have preferred... President, right? Yes. I mean, politician. politician. Yes. Yeah. Politician's good. Politician yeah. covers it all. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, I didn't realize they were going to go there, but I totally didn't realize until I was reading there's a reference. Radar in the show, innocent radar, refers to Sigmund Rhee and uh, says he's been elected dictator again. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so. Yes. I I feel a lot more comfortable with my my notes that his regime was notorious for corruption. My annoyance with him that I think went into this was he refused to agree to the armistice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he was just like, no, this is, we're we're not doing it. America basically did it and then was like, it's done. (laughs) He he wouldn't sign it. And then there was a revolution in 1960. He died in exile in Hawaii in 1965. I mean, if you have to die in exile, that's a good place to do it. Uh, yeah, it's true. Right? 
<laughs> Though I find it interesting if he wouldn't sign the armistice that the U.S. was like, okay, cool, yeah, you could hang out here. <laughs> oh, well, so when he went, oh, shoot, where was he during World War II? But the OSS got him back oh. into Korea in 1945. And in 1960, the oh, CIA okay. got him out of Korea. And so that's a nice little, you know, oh. circle of life. Circle <laughs> exactly, right? For <laughs> anti-communist dictators. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> guess I forgot that bit. Interesting. We wow, we went deeper than I ever thought about that line. That's, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, and to be fair, it's not like the CIA slash OSS has a great track record of supporting people who kind of yeah. uh, don't really adhere to American values, just better than the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. That's you true. know, I think uh, that last phrase there was one of their favorites. <laughs> better than the alternative was yes. like engraved on the. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't really like what he's doing, but he's not communist, so he'll he'll do. Yeah. <laughs> I just I really but want to call out this well. is one of our few hi, we're in Korea moments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because you know, Vietnam had its also had its uh, yeah, but <laughs> Well <clears throat> yes. Sorry. So I guess in that way, yes, even though it's supposed not supposed to be about Vietnam, but it is, but it's supposed to be about Korea, but it isn't, but it is. Yep. <laughs> this is fun. I want to see if she gets dizzy. Let's keep going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we I'm don't need to dizzy. do plugs. This is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to stretch my Vietnam history here. How are you doing too. with this metaphor, Megan? It's not going so well because I can't think of a counterpoint to him off the top of my head in Vietnam very easily. <laughs> uh, hint, it wasn't re. No. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, I... Uh, and that it was the sister. Anyway, oh. anyway, that's oh. a different war. We can't even get going down that road. Oh, but, yeah, Nations. same... Uh, League of Nations references here. Okay, <laughs> wow. so this is why Wikipedia exists. So we throw out all these terms and you're like, I don't know what's going on. You can get quick answers. <laughs> Not saying it's always the Same best. story, different. And if yeah. you want <laughs> longer like, answers and can handle a little bit of grossness there is a historical novel saigon which isn't going to help you without the author's name anthony gray oh anthony gray anthony gray wrote the novel saigon it's the same i've touted james michener before i am a junkie and this is basically a james michener-esque novel but it is talking about the vietnam war so just the war stuff isn't even what gets me they talk about they talk about the french police in in vietnam before before the war and the resistance the vietnamese people trying to fight for freedom against the french and there's some discussion of interrogation techniques and just like no 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 but the novel as a whole, and it's a big, nice, thick novel, and that is only one tiny part of it, and it's very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm leaving here with a signed reading. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want more? Because we're librarians, we can... <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, we, I, I personally like A Bright Shining Lie by Neil Sheehan. <laughs> If you want a big overview of how Vietnam was a cluster muck, <laughs> to put it nicely. <laughs> I think that's pretty much the generally accepted description. Of <laughs> yeah. Vietnam. Yes. A cluster muck that no one learned from, sadly. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that is exactly how my father described it. <laughs> 
what's crazy is I actually, so I, Chris doesn't know this. I was a history major in college and I tried to specialize in military history. And so I had uh, friends that did Air Force ROTC and I found out that as a civilian, I could go to the Air Force ROTC classes up to junior year. And so I did, I got like, I learned the history of the Air Force from a colonel in the Air Force. It was amazing. It was so cool. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and like, I learned how it worked. Because uh, the first year is mostly just, like, here's how to be in the Air Force. And then the second year was history. And so I was like, yes, I'm in. And, you know, it was a one-credit class. It was super interesting. It was really awesome. But this was 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. And the frustration of people literally teaching us you always have a plan. Kuwait is always held up as the, we had a mission and we did it. And then we all went home. <laughs> Good job, guys. Yeah. And the whole mission creep thing. And I swear to God, this came up. I was just talking about it this weekend. And it's one of those things where if I talk about it over the weekend for the next week, every morning, <laughs> it pisses me off as I'm walking to work. Drinking my Starbucks vanilla latte, the whole nine yards. We are sitting in a nation that is at war, folks. Like, maybe this won't be true by the time this airs, but let's face it, probably. Probably. Because, like, I really don't see that changing in the next few months. But, like, our nation is at war. I'm just going to keep saying it. I don't understand, like, what is going on in modern day world. But, yeah, to, listening to these people teach us about Vietnam in 2003 was a trip. Because <laughs> they were just, like, sitting there like, um, what's our end game here? Was there an end game? Excuse me? <laughs> what's our plan? When do, what will we go home after? What happens? Excuse me? Yeah, yeah. What's the goal? <laughs> You know, we yeah. knew that in World War Two, you know, when the, when the Nazis and the Japanese surrendered, that it's like, okay, now we can all go home. <laughs> you know? Thus, the war ended. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, you could argue it really didn't, but that's another. Yeah. Well, how much time do we have? How much time? <laughs> do we have? How much of a histographic you know, discussion do you want? Like, you know, the war kind of had already started. I don't know. Maybe not. You know. I enjoyed the way it was told. The uh, the Ken Burns series on Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I thought it so at least good. laid out how. It, first off, it was so it was powerful. You can only watch it in sort of. I could only uh, watch it in small chunks. I could, yeah. I wasn't even alive then, right? But but it yeah, I mean, but it helps set up. I thought it it really explained how it happened the beginning really well. You know, it laid it out really well of like what happened and how the United States became involved and all the other stuff that was going on behind the scene. I, I guess I could appreciate how they got that got described. I thought that was pretty cool. And and then I'm a sucker for veteran stories. So as soon as the veterans all are talking, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm ruined. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I was finishing up Ken Burns Vietnam and starting to read John Kerry's Every Day is Extra. So oh, wow. that was just my life for a few weeks there. <laughs> And I was starting to research this podcast, so all my early notes are like, this is Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know what you're doing there. <laughs> I see you, Robert Altman. I see you. I see you. I, see you. <laughs> I have no idea how to transition us out now. Um. <laughs> oh, oh, I got a bad joke. Just like the U.S. military in Iraq. Oh. <laughs> oh. Boom. No, I'm just kidding. Boom. <laughs> I don't even know if I can air that. That's pretty bad. <laughs> oh, I can tell you. I can tell you a bad joke that a kid told me today at work. 
Ooh, he said, all right. He said, what's a hippie's wife called? And I said, what is a hippie's wife called? And he goes, Miss a hippie. Get it? Wow. <laughs> And I was like, oh, that's clever. It's like Mississippi, but not, right? He's like, yeah. I was like, there you go. Wow. Hippies, 60s, Vietnam. You know, there we go. Bad transitions, just like bad jokes. You did it, Megan. I feel like you... Thanks, kid, who came to the library today. Thank you. There should be various podcasting badges. It's like... Oh, like... Successfully transitioned when everyone else was stuck. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we usually don't get quite as heavy yeah. <laughs> in, uh, let's see, in our Facebook listeners group. Or... <laughs> I get pretty heavy in my personal Twitter, but not so much the yeah, my mash one. It's like the weirdest mix of like, Christy Cheekin's awesome and like, I hate my life. Damn <laughs> <laughs> you politics. Yeah, you know. Followed by read this book. <laughs> I think my awkward personal blend of strong political opinion but inability not to go for the joke has been well demonstrated in this episode. So you've all had fair warning if you follow me. <laughs> yeah. We're on Twitter at Mash Minute. Also Instagram. It's it's hard to get dark. Well, no, I should not say that. You I'm should not, not challenging say that. Instagram, but. It's mostly pictures of, like, the show or the movie or fun <laughs> scenes filming. We swear, we usually keep it lighter than that. Chris, what's the best way to find Apollo 11 if they're looking to, you mean to 13? listen to that one? Oh, Apollo 13, man. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, Jim was yeah what's you the best too? way to find Apollo 11? We're plugging the <laughs> yeah. Smithsonian today. Yeah. <laughs> So the Apollo 13 Minute, we have a, it's called the Apollo 13 Minute Mission Control. Uh, so you can find us on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and also on Google Play. And then wherever you get your, your normal uh, podcast, you can get them on iTunes and everything else. So yeah, come check us out on Facebook, though. Uh, drop us a line because we, well, I can't speak for Jim, but I know Jim is active on there. Um, I'm active on there. I try to find some cool behind the scenes, you know, pictures of them filming in space. And, you know, they filmed that space, I'm sorry, but in flight, they took the uh, they took the sets on board the Vomit Comet, the jet that simulates zero gravity. <laughs> and uh, so they actually did some filming in there, which is pretty cool. So things like that, you know, but yeah, check us out on Facebook, uh, the Apollo 13 Minute Mission Control. Excellent. And then come back for more of MASH Minute with us probably not going as dark tomorrow. We'll see. <laughs> Shrug emoji. Shrug emoji. <laughs> no promises. <laughs> well, and thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for joining us. I hope we can kidnap you once more. Oh, absolutely. It's a, more, it's a pleasure to do the, it. Whatever minute we're on. Yeah. <laughs>